Luke chapter 24, verse 17 through 21 is going to be our text this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask if you would please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 17. The Bible says, And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have had with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful this morning to come together and celebrate on one of the most significant celebration days of the Christian faith as we remember and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask now, Lord, that You would anoint me to deliver Your Word this morning properly. God, that You would help me to rightly divide the Word of truth. God, that You would help me to deliver it in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, not in man's wisdom nor with crafty words. Pray, God, that You would open our hearts to hear Your Word and to receive it this morning. And God, we pray that You would have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you this morning on a thought simply titled, In the Presence of Hope. In the Presence of Hope. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has already risen from the dead. As a matter of fact, when it tells us that He uh, was walking with them, that He is Jesus. Jesus is walking with two men who are on a road. He comes up upon them. They are greatly distressed. They are greatly discouraged. And they begin to discuss Jesus, His death, and His burial. They have not discussed the resurrection yet. They do not believe the resurrection has occurred yet. And because of this, they are greatly discouraged. This morning, as I was preparing the sermon, I I thought to myself the irony that they are literally in the presence of hope, and yet they are still discouraged. They are in the presence of the answer to their problems, and yet all they can think about is their problems. They are in the presence of peace, and yet their hearts are still in turmoil. And I can't help but think of how often the same is true of each of us. I want to preach about the presence of hope. But before I get there, can we look for this morning for just a brief moment together at the reality of discouragement? Discouragement is a very, very real thing. It's real. And it's important that we hit it head on in the church from time to time and not pretend that none of us battle discouragement, that nobody's ever depressed, that that we're always just incredibly happy and wanting to hold hands and skip down the street together with big smiles on our face. The reality is life happens. The reality is that life is not always easy. That life is not always fair. That good things happen to bad people and that bad things happen to good people. That's the reality. 
And sometimes life is hard and life is difficult. And it's easy to become discouraged. In studying for today's sermon, I learned that in 2010, the Washington Post did a study on depression. They confirmed in 2010 that 75% of the antidepressants on the planet are consumed in America. Our country consumes three quarters of all the antidepressants in the world. The most prosperous nation on earth is the most depressed nation on earth. That teaches us a little something about prosperity from the world's perspective and what it really has to offer. In the United States, one out of three women are popping either Prozac, Zoloft, or Paxil. Those are antidepressants. One out of three women. That's incredible. I believe it was Thomas Jefferson who helped pin down on the Declaration of Independence. And one of the things, one of the purposes, one of the reasons for um, the state, uh, the United States of America, was that we might have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I would say America, at least on the pursuit of happiness, has failed miserably. The reason is that we think something provides happiness when things were never really meant to provide happiness. It is a he, it is a him, it is a who that is meant to provide happiness. And all the wealth in the world and all the, the great things that, that this nation has accomplished have been unable to really provide happiness. And here's the truth. And we need to be honest and we need to be transparent about it. The statistics are same in the church. It's not like the church is the one place where these statistics are null and void and the church is a bunch of happy people. The church is equally depressed. That's an embarrassing thing to say, but it is the truth. Not only are we a prosperous nation, we are the most churched nation on earth. Within a five mile radius, if you go five miles that direction and just do a big circle, five mile swoop, there's about 30 churches. 30. 30. There's a church everywhere. You know what else it teaches us? And this is just the fact, and I'm being honest with you this morning. Church doesn't make people happy. Preach it, Pastor. Preach it. Church doesn't get it done. We've missed something, and we have to acknowledge something is wrong. But in order to acknowledge something's wrong, we've got to acknowledge that it is wrong, and that we are a depressed nation. We are a discouraged nation. We are discouraged people. Here Jesus walks up on two people that were deeply discouraged. They were walking down the road, they were talking together, and Jesus walks up. And I want us to just quickly, I want to show you a couple things about 
depression. I want to show you a couple things about being discouraged. It's very important that you understand this morning if you're battling discouragement. First of all, in verse 14, they talked together of all these things which had happened. One of the things that discouragement will do, it will cause you to dwell on the past. It will cause you to, to think about everything that went wrong. It will cause you to think about what happened yesterday. And how two years ago this happened to you, and ten years ago this happened to you, and twenty years ago this happened to you. And all you can think about is what did happen and why it didn't happen the way you thought it should or how you wanted it to. It might have even really been wrong. It might have really been something terrible in your life. But depression and discouragement will cause you to focus on the past. And my friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, you can't change the past. All the worrying in the world will not change what happened? But discouragement will cause you to dwell on the past. In verse 17, Jesus walks up and He notices, He says, what manner of conversation is this that you're so sad? Eventually, your discouragement will be detected by others. Your depression, your discouragement will affect the other people in your life. It will be detected by other people in your life. It begins to show through that there is something deep inside that is still hurt, that is, un, that is unsatisfied, that is, that is depressed. And then in verse 19, they tell Jesus about things concerning Jesus. The Bible tells us they didn't recognize that it was Him. They, why they didn't recognize it was Him, we're not 100% sure. Maybe they were not real close disciples. Maybe he looked somewhat different after his resurrection. Uh, maybe, whatever the reason, these two at, currently were unaware that they were walking with Jesus. And Jesus said, what are you so sad about? And they said, oh, you, you must not know. You must be the only person in this entire country who doesn't know what happened. And they begin to say about Jesus, who was a prophet. And they said in verse 21 that... They were hoping He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Here's what you need to understand about this passage. If you're not an Old Testament scholar, if you don't have some understanding of the Jewish way of thought and life, reading through that doesn't make a lot of sense. They believed, when it said, we believed He was the one who was going to redeem Israel, here's what they confessed. We believed He was the Messiah. See, the Old Testament Scriptures had prophesied that a Messiah would come and redeem Israel. And they said, we believed. That's past tense. We thought He was the one. And here's the insinuation, but we were wrong. It's not Him. When you're really discouraged, you will begin to believe stuff that's not true. Our ability to exaggerate our situation and to exaggerate the truth, even in our own minds and our own hearts when we're discouraged, is overwhelming. You begin to believe stuff that's just not true at all. They say, well, we believed He was the Messiah, but obviously He's not. Obviously, we were wrong. And they had a very poor understanding of, of what the Messiah would do. And Jesus goes on to explain to him, did you not know the same Scriptures that told you the Messiah would come prophesied to us that He would have to suffer? 
But their senses were deadened. Their, their ability to perceive truth was skewed. And that's one of the things that we are in a truly, especially as a depressed country as we are, we are in a state of delusion. And can I tell you as a pastor, and uh, as somebody who a large portion of my life is devoted to trying to help pull people up out of despair, it's what Jesus came to do. A large portion of my life is, is in trying to encourage the discouraged. If there's one thing that I've learned, it's that sometimes discouraged people, they just can't see the truth. And it doesn't matter how much you tell them, they can't see. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. It's worse than you think it is, Pastor. You don't see how bad it is. And I'm saying, no, wait a second. You don't see how good it is. It's a perception problem. But discouragement is very real. Discouragement affects so many people. Depression, worry, fear, and doubt. And eventually... As we see in verse 21, we were hoping. Were. We're not anymore. Eventually, hope is lost. I want to ask you something this morning. Is there any situation in your life that you have lost hope over? Be honest with yourself. Is there anything in your life that you would just say is just hopeless? Give up on it. No chance. I have absolutely zero expectation that in this area of my life anything could ever get better. That there's anything that could ever occur to somehow change me or change this situation. All hope is lost. It is a desperate place to be. And we all get there from time to time. Hey, we can show up in our Easter best. And we, can, and we can put a smile on our face. And we can shake hands. And we can tell people we're glad to see them. While at the same time, having hopelessness grip our hearts. And our world being turned upside down from the inside. It's real. And some of you here this morning, you know it's real. Because I'm talking about you. And you can identify. All hope had been lost. Isn't it interesting, though, that hope was right there walking along with them? They just didn't see it. Here's what you need to understand this morning. Number one. You're going to come up out of discouragement. If you're going to see hope be revived in your life, if you're going to walk in the hope and in the joy that God has for each and every one of us here this morning, let's look at the process here this morning of how Jesus changed these two gentlemen's lives. First of all, I want you to notice that He came to where they were. They were walking down the road. They weren't looking for Jesus. They assumed He was dead and gone. There was going to be no resurrection. He wasn't coming back to life. And as they were in their pity party, which by the way, be careful hanging out with people that just like to have a pity party with you. There will always be somebody who you can walk with that will just validate all of everything you've got to say. Oh, it is terrible. Oh, life, I can't even believe you're still living. Can't even believe you're going on. I wouldn't do it if I was you. I mean, 
Good grief. I could not imagine life like you. I mean, my life's terrible too. And it's just a constant nag fest. Don't walk with people like that long. I'm going to tell you why. You hear it long enough, you begin to believe it. And here's why else. All of us do go through difficult times, brothers and sisters. There is some level of truth to the pain that we all face. The problem is when we become so focused on it, that's all that we can see. That's all that we can concentrate on. That's all that we can get our mind around. And it's all that we meditate on. And be careful not to surround yourself with people that are constantly feeding that negativity. But those two men were walking together. They were having their pity party. They were discussing how bad life was. And Jesus just says, can I join your conversation? This morning, I can't help but believe He's trying to do that here today. He's trying to sit down beside somebody and say, hey, let's just talk. Let's talk here through church. I know where you're at. I know where you're walking, and and I showed up on your path. And I'm here to walk this thing out with you. And let's talk a little bit. So Jesus begins to discuss with them, and I think it's interesting. He asks them, you know, what are you so sad about? They say, I mean, think about the conversation. There is some level of humor to it. They say to Jesus, oh, you must not know what happened. You must have no idea about what happened to Jesus. You know what Jesus says? What happened to him? And I want you to notice he listens. That's the first thing God will do to you. God does want to listen to you. He listens. They go on and they tell him. They even mentioned that certain women came and told us that the tomb was empty, but we don't know what that's all about. They didn't find his body. They told us they had seen angels in a vision. Isn't that incredible? Jesus had told them that if you destroy this temple, I'll bring it back up in three days. They're discouraged here after receiving the news that the tomb is empty. They've seen angels and the angels have said Jesus rose from the dead. They're still discouraged. You know why? Because discouragement will dominate the present. This morning, I'm going to show you what Jesus did with these two discouraged men. The first thing He did was listen. You know God wants to listen to you. He doesn't want to listen to you boss him around. But He does want to hear your heart. He does want to know what you have to say about it. He wants you to speak to Him. Because really what God wants more than anything is a relationship with you. And a real relationship start with communication. And so, He listens. And after He listens we begin to see the response in verse 25. Then He said to them, let's look at verse 25 and 26 and 27. Three verses. Then He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. God's response to their discouragement, now granted, he listened. Remember, he came to where they were. That's compassion. He listened to what they had to say. But after coming to where they were, after asking what they were struggling with, and after listening to what they had to say, here was his response. You are a fool. I'm going to tell you something today. I, let me say this before I go through what I'm about to say. I struggled with depression for years. Some people don't know that about me. I went through six years of terrible, terrible, terrible depression. And I went through about a year and a half of what would be labeled manic depression. I got so sick. I've lived here my whole life. Never lived anywhere else in my entire life. Born and raised in Clearwater, Kansas. I know Wichita like the back of my hand. I got so sick, I would be on Kellogg driving east or west, and I wouldn't know where I was going. I wouldn't know why I was in my truck. I was just lost. My brain was fried. I know what it is to be utterly, terribly depressed. And so I have some authority this morning when I speak on this issue. We don't like to be told that our depression is foolishness. But I'm here to tell you it is. It's foolishness. And that's what Jesus said about it. You're foolish. You're so slow to believe the truth about the Scriptures. And I think about the Scriptures. He pointed to the Old Testament. I don't know where we get, and you know what the problem is? The problem is, is our view of prosperity in this country, which, as we've already learned this morning, does not provide peace or happiness. But our view of prosperity is that we're wealthier than our neighbors, that we have lots of toys, that we can go on vacation as much as we want, that we can spend as much as we want, buy what we want, when we want, do what we want, and that somehow that is success. That that is prosperity. And we expect God to give it to us. Because we associate God prospering us with our American view of prosperity. And the Bible tells us the first thing that Jesus did, He rebuked them. God's response to our discouragement this morning, the first response is, our faulty thinking must be rebuked. It's got to be rebuked. You're not thinking straight. It's not as bad as you say. I think about folks, and I, I, I do not want to dismiss, diminish anybody's pain because I know it's real. But life isn't as bad as you think it is. I know folks that... I've did funerals before with a casket in front of me this big. That's hard. That's the world that we live in. I've watched people lose loved ones to cancer. I've watched people lose jobs and just about lose everything they had. I could point to this person's tragedy and this person's tragedy. I could tell you about the children that, I go, that we went over and we found in Haiti who were almost starved to death 
And the reality is this. All of us have our own stuff. But nobody has all of it. When I looked at my life, I could give you the pity party and I'm not going to vomit it out on you this morning. But the reality was that in my pity party, I still had a wife who loved me. I still had three healthy children. I still had a roof over my head. I still had a church who loved me. I still had a job to pay the bills. But somehow I couldn't see that. And the first thing you've got to be willing to do is let God rebuke your faulty thinking. It's not as bad as you think it is. Quit focusing on everything that's negative in your life and realize that God is good and He is the answer to our problems. And what did He do? He took them to the Scriptures. Beginning at Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. That's just a, Mo, Moses is the first five books of the Bible. The prophets is the, the rest of the Old Testament. That's what that means. He took them to the, the Scriptures they had at the time. And it would do us well to read the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures teach us that God is with us through the difficulty. The Scriptures teach us that Joseph, for almost 13 years, God had promised him greatness. Yet he became a slave. He was imprisoned. He was lied about. He he, he He was done wrong. He was forgotten. He was locked up in the dungeon. Who am I talking about? God's chosen man, that's who. That's who I'm talking about. We forget about Job. Who suffered and suffered and suffered. Who did lose his wife. Who did lose his children. Who did lose his job. Who did lose his welfare. Who did lose his health. He lost it all. Well, who's Job? According to the Bible, he was the most righteous man on the face of earth. That's who he was. Where do we get this notion that if you live righteous and you do right, that you're never going to suffer in a fallen world that is ruled and dominated by a devilish, evil uh, set of of governing world and and, and, and where the Bible tells us Satan is the prince of this air? Where do we get the idea that we can live here and not go through suffering? I'll tell you one thing, we don't get it from here. Now, where it came from, I'm not real sure. But it did not come from here. And you need to know that. And there is a time that our faulty thinking has to be rebuked. And we have to be reminded that, hey, Jesus said, follow me when He was on His way to the cross. He wasn't about to sign His deed on His multi-million dollar home that was better than all of His disciples. When He said, hey, follow me. No, He was about to go the way of the cross. He said, follow me. We've got to have our faulty thinking rebuked. Life is not as bad as you think it is. And God never promised that it was always going to be easy. He never promised that you weren't going to suffer. He never promised that you would not go through suffering and pain. So let's get our thinking straight. And then secondly, let's remember, God has done a lot of good things in my life. I had to remember, I have a wife who loves me. I have a wife who is, who is committed to me even though I have been distant. 
I was that husband during that period of time when I was in the house, but I had checked out before I ever opened the door. I was there, but I wasn't there. And it wasn't because I was trying to be mean and hateful. It's because I was so messed up. I know what it's like to lay in bed two feet away from my wife and feel like she's 2,000 miles away. I've been there. It's real. And I want you to know something. I, like many of you, I argued with God for a long time. I have every reason to be mad. I have every reason to be depressed. If anybody else in this entire world was going through what I was going through, they wouldn't have even made it this far. God, you should be happy that I've made it this far. Hey, I know. I've been there. The first thing we've got to be willing to do is let God stare us right in the eyes and say, knock it off. It's not like you say it is. It's not that bad. Quit it. And so, he rebukes them. Foolish ones. But after this, look at verse 28 through 30. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. So the first thing that happens in the process of having your hope revived, you've got to have your faulty thinking rebuked. But it's not enough to just have your faulty thinking rebuked. You've got to have your relationship restored. Jesus didn't just rebuke them and then head the other way with, I told you so. He rebuked them. Then He hung out with them. And He fed them. And He spent time with them. And they communed. If you want to have hope revived in your life, you will have to have your relationship with God restored. You've got to be willing to let Him spend time with you. You've got to be willing to sit with Him and let Him feed your soul. You've got to be willing to get into the Word and to listen to God. And you've got to be willing to get into some time of prayer and and talk with God. And then stop and meditate and try to hear from God. It's been said that when I pray, I talk to God. When I meditate, I listen to God. It's about communing with Him. It's about a relationship. And the tragedy of this current hour is that most people don't want a relationship with God. Most people in our modern day society are like the prodigal son. They know that He is the Father. But they don't want the Father. They just want the Father's stuff. And the prodigal son said to his father, just give me what is mine. Give it to me. I want all of it now. I don't want to wait for it. I don't really trust you with your direction for my life. I want to do it my way. So give me everything that you can give me now. And what the prodigal son really wanted was the father's stuff. And the father gave it to him. And you know what he did? He went and squandered it. And it wasn't until he came to his senses and realized that his father loved him 
and that his father was the prize. And he just wanted to be restored to his father. It wasn't more stuff that he wanted finally. He didn't want to go back so he could give it a second shot and maybe get some more stuff and do better with it the next time. He just wanted to be restored to his father. She's about a relationship. Now, I want you to understand something. I've had people tell me, I've tried God, I've tried God, I've tried God. And, and I want to acknowledge that maybe you think you really have. But if it failed, you didn't really try God. Because God never fails. You just Maybe you just wanted the Father's stuff. You just thought that if you would you know, do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and kind of become religious, that, that maybe that God would fix this and God would fix that. And you were like the prodigal son who wanted the Father's stuff. But we see the pathway to wholeness and the pathway to truly having hope restored is understanding. Jesus doesn't just want to give us stuff. He wants to commune with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to abide in us. And so first, He rebukes our faulty thinking. Secondly, the relationship is restored. And they are communing with Christ now. And then in verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they knew Him. And he vanished from their sight. It's an interesting statement. He vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road and while he opened the Scriptures to us. Did not our heart burn within us? Their eyes were opened and their statement about it was, Did not our heart burn within us? Here's what it teaches us about God. God really speaks to the heart. That's what God is after. It's so important the church again understands that. We are not after people's heads. We are not trying to win theological arguments. God is interested in the heart. The real reason that people turn to theological arguments, the real reason that people throw up philosophical objections to why they reject the Bible or why they reject God, it's not because they philosophically really believe what they have to say. It's because they're coming up with excuses to remain in their sin. That's the reality of it. And Jesus pushes through all of that and He gets to the heart. He says, I want you... I don't want to give you stuff. I want to give you me. I don't want you to have the things that I can give. I want you to have what I am. I want to live in you and you and me. I want to have a relationship that is so knit together that the best way I can put it into human words is I'm going to live in you and you're going to be in me. And God is after the heart. I'll never forget the day I got saved. It wasn't some argument up here that turned me to God. It was something that was working in here that in 20 years of my life I'd never heard. And there was no denying it. My heart was being spoken to. My soul was coming alive. Something that I didn't even believe was real. Something I didn't even believe existed deep inside me was turning around. And I was hearing God speak. Because God speaks to the heart. And after their thinking was rebuked and that relationship restored, their hearts 
begin to burn inside of them. And the Bible tells us in verse 33, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were gathered there saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That very hour they rose up. And here we see this. Their hope was revived. Their hope was revived. See, they were in the presence of hope. Until it happens to you, I'll ask our worship team to come, until it happens to you, it will never be personal. I think about these discouraged disciples. They had seen Jesus and they had seen Jairus when Jairus' entire demeanor dropped. As his friends came and said, your daughter's dead, leave Jesus alone. And they had watched Jesus go to his house and raise his daughter back to life. And they had watched Jairus and his wife and his daughter rejoice as their hope had been revived. They had watched the lepers whose lives were stamped dead. You're not going to make it much longer. You are a reject from the community. You cannot be around your children or your wife. You must just wander with the other lepers until you die. They had watched Jesus heal the lepers and their entire life turn around and their hope restored and they, and they run home with joy. They had seen Jesus heal the sick. They had seen Jesus cast out the demon-possessed. But on this day, they were the ones in need of hope. And they were in the presence of hope. This morning, we're in the presence of hope. Hope lives. But you've got to be willing to do it Jesus' way. You've got to be willing to let your faulty thinking be rebuked by God. And if you're like me, it took months and months and months of me digging in my heels. Uh-uh, my way's right. My way's right. I've got every reason to feel the way I feel. And until I was able to say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. It's not as bad as I say it is. And it's not because things aren't wrong, but it's because you're bigger than things. It's because you are able to do above and abundantly beyond all I could ever ask or imagine. It's because you're with me, and if you're with me, then who can be against me? It's because no matter what the devil brings my way, God, you're able to take all things that happen and work them out for my good. It's not as bad as I think. And then the relationship has to be restored. It's not about God's hands. It's about God's heart. Do you really want God this morning? And as we restore that relationship and we begin to know Him, commune with Him, then we sing for who He really is. And hope is restored. Father, I pray that You'd move all across this room this morning. We are so grateful. Grateful for hope. We pray this morning that You would revive hope in our hearts.